The stock market is down nearly 10% to start the year. Uh, bond rates are starting to turn around and Bitcoin went below $40,000 for a bit today. I am not Gerardo Del Real. I am Nick Hodge, and this is my co-host for the week, Chris Curl, also the editor of Crypto Cycle. And this is episode 157 of Bizarro World. Chris, how are you? Doing well, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Chris, we are hiring here at Digest Publishing. Um, it's been over a year now since uh, we started this endeavor, and the company continues to grow on all fronts by um, subscriptions, by revenue, by the number of products offered by uh, employees, uh, as evidenced by um, you uh, being here, starting a new letter in the crypto sphere. And um, we recently hired a couple of marketing support people who will be starting in February and March. And now we are seeking a um, member services or a customer service representative. Um, it's obviously a tough hiring environment out there, but we like to think that uh, we have a good thing going on here. We um, are trying to put the customer, uh, the customer first. We are trying to um, make the product such that it um, actually fulfills a need, uh, unlike many of the newsletter products that I've seen around there where the need is seemingly just to have a product to market. Ours are actually um, providing real advice and insights into either macro markets or specific markets of the um, stock market or crypto market or um, even bonds and, and some of the things that I'm doing where we're putting real money uh, to work. And so um that's uh, obviously the case with your product crypto cycle which just launched where we're putting fifty thousand uh, dollars to work buying and selling cryptos and 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 uh, altcoins and maybe even some some nfts which we'll talk about but um right now we're looking for a customer service agent and so i wanted to lead with that because um by any channel uh, necessary you got to get the word out there these days yeah absolutely um, I wanted to start with um, not the markets. I wanted to start with um, something that I think is uh, on a lot of people's mind. At least I've been uh, thinking about it and my wife and I have been talking about it. And where you and I live here in Washington, uh, we had an, a related announcement this week. So um, it's the third week of February and there's only five states left or maybe even four that have a mask mandate. Washington is one of them. And a governor, Jay Inslee, this week came out and said that next month, March 21st, um, we could stop wearing our masks indoors and um, stop uh, having kids mask up in schools, which has been a big theme for me. So um, let me rewind the tape a couple of weeks uh, to when we had a extended shutdown for um, one of our daughter's preschool classes because kids were testing positive in the class. And so they had to, they had to shut down the um, preschool. And um, after the, the third weekly shutdown, I finally called the principal and um, was very cordial and nice to just express some of my concerns and wanted to know where the school stood as it related to mask mandates and things. And, um, he expressed a couple of sentiments. The principal did one that um, the closures were, were growing long in the tooth. Like he didn't feel good about having to continue to shut down you know, the preschool, uh, especially because 
you can just remove the the sick student or the student that tested positive and, and have the other kids um, in class. And the other thing he expressed was that um, they weren't really taking a, a stance one way or the other, whether the shutdowns or the, the masks were uh, affecting, you know, kids learning or development or anything like that. Their stance was basically um, we're doing whatever we're told from above to keep our accreditation and our funding. That's an important point. The, mm-hmm. the funding we'll yeah. get back to it in, in, in a bit. So um, anyway, I, I guess a couple of thoughts there. Um, let me shut up and hear from you for a second. We'll have a discussion. But I do want to go back and forth on this topic because, um, you know, obviously a lot of states have not had a mask mandate for a while. I typically don't wear my mask unless I'm asked to. I'm, you know, I'm not a jerk about it. I'll put it on if you ask me to. But I am of the belief that they're not doing much, you know, a benefit. And it is time to take the mask certainly off the the kids and a lot of other people are, are, are having, um, I think, similar sentiments. So in the past couple of weeks, just here in Washington, we've had superintendents send letters to the governor saying it's time to take the masks off the kids. We've had um, a couple of school districts even vote to go ahead and, and make masks optional in their own right without the governor. And um, the state was quick to point out that you could lose funding if you do that. And so... Um, Let's let's go down the funding path because um, Canadian truckers uh, and not just truckers, but others were in the, the news in recent weeks and still are for closing down bridges and having a freedom convoy. And their funding also came into question in a couple of ways. Um, one, there was a GoFundMe that was um, shut down that they were using to, to raise money. And two, a very draconian draconian. Um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau enacted uh, the, the Emergencies Act, which uh, allowed, again, the state to shut down people's personal bank accounts that were you know, found or thought to be associated with the Freedom Convoy or the protests. So what are your thoughts on some of that stuff? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, sure. You were, well, you're speaking about, <laughs> right, well, you were speaking about Governor Inslee. I, I've taken to calling him Lord Inslee over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Kind of preferred him more when he was kind of more of an affable jock who liked basketball and wrestling. In the last couple of years, he's definitely gotten a lot more into, you know, his climate crusade and then the COVID shutdown and lockdown crusade and now the masking crusade, which hopefully he's finally getting close to giving up on and letting go. I've noticed just going around here in Washington State, probably only about half the people out and about are even wearing masks anymore. And it doesn't seem like anybody Eastern really Washington cares. State. That is Eastern Washington. I don't know what it's like in Seattle, but uh, might be more aggressive and militant Karens there. I don't know. But uh, the fact of the matter is, it's very obvious uh, that, you know, Western governments are becoming increasingly oppressive and authoritarian. Uh, and you're seeing it very clearly with the Canadian truckers protest. I think right now in Ottawa, they have, they're sending out militarized police they're moving in with assault rifles, you know, on, on people who are peacefully protesting. Uh, you know, bank accounts are being frozen. Uh, and and th- this trend only seems to be accelerating. Uh, you know, you've seen it over the last two years with most of the world governments, especially Western governments, response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, when you think about the, the social and economic destruction that was wrought on the people directly by the government. 
uh, you're, you're so, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to see like, oh man, well, this is why people are creating decentralized systems totally outside of a central authority. Like this is the whole point. People are getting it. People who didn't understand the technology are starting to understand the politics and the ideology of it. Uh, so I think that, you know, the last year or two have been waking up a lot of people to that. Um, you know, hey, our, our institutions are corrupt. They're not managing anything well. Uh, they're impoverishing you. They're oppressing you. Uh, and who knows what else? But I mean, th this trend usually doesn't decelerate uh, unless people create a way to function outside of that centralized control. Um, a couple of things I wanted to touch on there, you know, uh, let's start before I get into the right to transact. Let's talk a little bit about the the system itself. I was um, writing a little bit about uh, that this week, and um, some of that comes from uh, Jeff Booth, who uh, wrote a book about why you need deflation to um, basically have people survive what's coming, uh, the Tau technology is going to replace things. You need to have a, a native digital currency that things are priced in because um, the problems that we're facing, the inflation, uh, the devaluation of the dollar, the insurmountable debts are um, a framework or a system uh, that are so damaged that you can't create a solution within that same system or framework. So you need to start thinking about different frameworks or solutions and of course his is uh bitcoin or, or you know that's what he thinks is is one of the main solutions because it's deflationary he's talking about mm -hmm. um things getting everything will be priced cheaper relative to bitcoin that's his mantra and that's sort of like the article i was uh writing this week um or, or at least in in recent days whereas Conversely, everything is currently getting more expensive in um, dollars, right? And we're seeing yep. that, we've seen that for the past year. They wanted, the government and the Fed wanted to deny it, but now it's obviously undeniable with the CPI at the highest level since 1982. Um, and you have to laugh almost, Chris, because, um, you know, they, they say that they're going to fix it or it's mission number one. And it's like, well, if you didn't see the problem or you didn't admit it existed or you were the one who caused it, why should we believe that, you know, you're the one that's going to fix it? I saw there was a senator this week from Maryland, Senator Cardin, say the Senate is thinking about passing emergency legislation to deal with inflation. And, I, I you know, the headline could have been, you know, uh, Fox says he's going to guard the hen house. Right. I mean, weren't you guys the ones who were passing the bills that caused the inflation? They caused they caused all um, Right. And so you have to start thinking about a different system. And I guess I, I want to get your thoughts on that a little bit. Um, how is the whatever, however you want to frame it, how is cryptos a different system? How do they benefit or how can we use them to benefit? Um, and I guess the easy question or the, the, the main thing, the first thing that detractors point to is like, you know, well, why can't these truckers use crypto to get around that GoFundMe shutdown or whatever? Like if ever there was a time for uh, Bitcoin, it's now. Why isn't it functioning? Or, or maybe it is and it's being overlooked. Well, I mean, there's nothing stopping them from <laughs> using crypto to transact. A lot of, you know, these older truckers are like Gen X and, and baby boomers. 
and they're just not they don't have crypto wallets and and everything i mean it's mm -hmm. just it's going to take them a while to, to get all that figured out but i mean the fact so that there's a learning curve it's there's going to be a big learning curve because uh, there's a lot of technology involved but uh you're seeing already the the prevalence of um decentralized autonomous organizations and they just set one up for Julian Assange, which has already raised tens of millions of dollars. Um, and those are collectively owned and managed by its members, and they have a built-in treasury. So no one person has the authority uh, to access it without the approval of the entire group. So DAOs are really a way to circumvent things like defundme uh, and governments who are freezing bank accounts because uh, they don't agree with the politics of the organization that's raising money. Defund me is funny. Walk me through um, what a DAO is. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, I kind of explained the, the basics of it. I mean, it, it is, um, you know, it gets a little bit complicated, but uh, it differs from a traditional organization in uh, being fully democratized. So it's not hierarchical. Uh, and so voting is required by members for any changes to be implemented. Um, and also all the votes are tallied and the uh, outcome is implemented automatically without any like trusted intermediaries. So there's not anybody who can step in the way in the last minute and change it. Um, and you also have any services that are offered are handled automatically uh, using blockchain technology. So it's not like there's anybody who can press a button to stop it. Uh, and that's my question. The activity, the activity is transparent and public because it's on the blockchain. So, yeah, I mean, you can't stop a DAO. Like the money that the money that's, you know, in a DAO is is not uh, able to be controlled the way that well, GoFundMe has complete. Obviously, we've seen they have complete and total control over all of the funds that uh, go into their into their organization. Um. Yeah, well, it's a centralized organization. Right? Totally. So if someone, if the red phone rings, right, and someone calls uh, the executives or um, those that have power at GoFundMe and say, we don't like this campaign, we want to shut down, there's a, a kill switch, unlike, um, obviously, a decentralized, a decentralized platform, right? Because uh, it's stored on all the members' uh, machines. Did I, am I getting that right? Right, Yeah. And then so because I'm a neophyte, Chris, so you're helping me. Mm -hmm. We just said there's a learning curve. And, and so that's sort of the point of uh, one of the points of crypto cycle. We obviously want to make money and we put $50,000 to buy and invest in, in this space. But um, we're also showing and educating people why it's important to be in the space, um, how it's uh, part of a paradigm shift, paradigm shift, not just in the financial system, but in uh, sort of, sort of like the the workers' rights mm -hmm. and the the rise of the middle class and the fourth turning and 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 all that stuff um, plays into it. And so I want to learn more and I want to show people um, obviously how to to benefit from it. Um, it. That's one of the things Digest Publishing is all about. So when I have these questions that seem dumb, you know, I, I'm trying to tease out for for listeners for members. You know, how they can use these things for themselves or how they can go about learning more about them. So when you say a DAO is, is on the blockchain is take the one we were just talking about for Assange. And you may not know, if not, you know, just take a hypothetical example. Mm -hmm. It's that 
um, like on the Ethereum blockchain. It is, is that yeah. on a, a different coin. So talk, explain, explain um, that a, a little bit, I guess. Well, I mean, it, it essentially functions using smart contracts, um, just like every other decentralized financial product. Uh, and it, you know, most of those, of course, the vast majority run currently on Ethereum. Uh, but, you know, there are other blockchains uh, that have the same functionality that I've talked about a lot, even though not as many uh, projects are launched on them, uh, like like Avalanche or Solana or any of these other ones. But yeah, Ethereum is, is the major, uh, you know, DeFi blockchain. That's where almost everything's launched on. And that's why Ethereum is just over the long term, a really safe investment in the crypto space. Because you can build apps or whatever smart contracts on ethereum and you can't um do that with bitcoin that's correct that is correct yeah Bit bitcoin just does not have the uh capability the capabilities for that uh with the lightning network bitcoin it has yes. more yep. utility as an actual digital currency because that kind of eliminates a lot of the transaction fees and the slow transaction time that bitcoin is plagued with um so, yeah, I do think Bitcoin, with the help of things like uh, the Lightning Network, can uh, function as a currency. Uh, but, yeah, Ethereum really is the primary blockchain for all of these smart contracts, all of this DeFi stuff, even metaverse stuff, NFTs. I mean, this stuff is all uh, firmly entrenched on the uh, Ethereum blockchain. So why does Bitcoin remain the gold standard? Um... And 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 the quote unquote you know chosen one. Why is it you know gold and Ethereum still silver if uh, it's not that good for building apps on and you can't do smart contracts? I realize it's getting better with the Lightning Network, but why is Bitcoin still the one? Well, I mean because it was the first. It's been around since uh, you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, and there very well may come a day where the Ethereum flips Bitcoin, where the market cap for Ethereum is larger than Bitcoin's. Um, but not necessarily the price, because you always have to remember the shares outstanding. Yeah, due, due to Bitcoin's fixed supply and Scarcity. deflationary nature, I yeah. think that the price is always going to be more for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I, that's what I think Jeff Booth is meaning when he's saying things are always are going to get cheaper priced in. Um, Bitcoin. So let's bring it back to the masks and, and to the schools. So when I was talking to the principal um, and he was saying he was worried about the funding, um, you could theoretically, because this is a private school, right? Um, you could theoretically form a DAO, get together with all the other rich parents at the school, form a DAO and say, we're all going to contribute to this and um, we're going to stop taking funding from people who can dictate uh, mandates to our children. And also we're going to put up our credit via this DAO to self-insure. Um, and then what? Well, I mean, yeah, they can do that. <laughs> that, that would, well, that's yeah. what I mean. I mean, that, that would be, uh, you know, an effective way to circumvent all of this kind of central authority bearing down on them. Well, that's exactly I mean, you, you outlined it well. The <laughs> I don't, I don't I know how to elaborate on it. I mean, I, I agree. That's that's pretty good and, thought. And I wanted you to say it. So um, what, so anybody could do that, I guess, is, is the broader sure. point, right? For anywhere, for anything where 
um, the right to transact becomes a pinch point. And so that's sort of like the, the light bulb that I wanted to go off. And, I, and maybe it just did for some people. I think so. Um, yeah. Like, like um, you know, we, we see all this deplatforming, right? People getting kicked off Twitter, people <laughs> wanting people to get kicked off Spotify, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, deplatforming. And so um, we talk a lot about other rights too, right? Like the right to vote and freedom of speech and all this stuff. And, and another thing that I'm going to steal that I saw recently was um, a long thread on why the right to transact supersedes all that stuff. Because like um, all the other things cost money. You need to transact to do all the other things like, you know, try to vote without getting to the local voting thing, right? Without taking an Uber or firing up your car or whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? Um, or, you know, try to exercise whatever, your Second Amendment right without buying a gun or, you know, try to exercise um, whatever it is, your, your right to assembly when the government takes away your GoFundMe. And so uh, to exercise all these other rights, you need to be able to spend money. You need to be able to mm -hmm. transact. And if you can't transact, then you can't exercise some of these um, other rights. And I think that's, you know, what this conversation is about. That's what you and I are, are talking about and what people are figuring out a la or via, excuse me, I dropped my pen, the closing down of, you know, GoFundMe accounts and using the, in the case of the school, the funding, you know, you guys can't do your own and make your own rules because we're going to take away your funding. Well, fuck you. If, if we can bypass yeah. your funding, um, in an autonomous way, then you can't um, dictate to us. And so I think that's a very big thing for, for cryptos. I imagine you- Oh, I completely it. agree. I mean, I think you summed it up really well. Um, I mean, the, this is the entire reason that cryptocurrency was created. I mean, a lot of people, I think, you know, just thought these were some nerds in their mom's basements, you know, speculating on JPEGs and you know, having sex in the metaverse or whatever, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, you know, th th there is a, a fundamental uh, ideological framework that underpins most of these cryptocurrency uh, projects. And, and it really is all about decentralization, obviously, and, and you know, freedom and liberty against centralized forms of control, which... I mean, for pr pretty much as long as both you and I have been adults, this has been getting more oppressive and more authoritarian. Uh, well, especially especially when it's um, rules for thee and not for yeah. me, right? Um, what, whether it's um, insider trading in Congress or uh, in the Federal Reserve, both of which they're you know trying to course correct on now. You've got some members of Congress. I'm trying to get through a bill barring members uh, from yeah. trading. And in fact, in a big development worthy of the podcast, I guess you had Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer come out and say that's a good idea um, in the face of Nancy saying it's not a good idea who profit from it the most, <laughs> right? Um, or or, or, or yeah. one of the most. And then the same thing with the Federal Reserve, right? So let me just. Well, they just, uh, they just they just banned uh, any employees of the Federal Reserve from trading in stocks or cryptocurrencies, I believe. <laughs> I know. I, I think a lot of people I mean, read that headline. Were like, "Wait a minute, they could do that before." <laughs> like, it seems like um, a little bit of uh, a bad idea, but you know. 
it's it's incredible and so um people are realizing this and those who uh, are in charge are, are starting to figure out that people are uh, upset about it right and they're trying to um well hopefully as part of the fourth turning we're voting in people who are saying look we need term limits you're not allowed to trade stocks with on policies that you know about you're not allowed to you know own bonds and sell bonds before you dictate monetary policy like of course yeah. you're not right and um in, in some ways that's always going to be that graft or is always going to be in the system and it, very much in a lot of ways uh, cryptos can help um take that out or at least make it uh, more transparent so everybody knows what's going on. And you mentioned sex in the metaverse. There's going to be plenty of that. Um, and it's a perfect pivot point because I've been writing a lot about uh, Playboy and I've been buying a lot of Playboy stock and I've been getting my ass kicked. But um, similar to to the volatile nature of, of, of cryptos, um, these, some of these companies that are associated with the space are um, volatile as well, but that doesn't mean they aren't going to be um, successful. In the case of Playboy specifically, um, a couple of things, I guess, related to sex. Um, uh, one, they've got this platform called Centerfold, which is uh, basically uh, OnlyFans for porn stars. And they've recruited uh, a lot of uh, top porn stars. Yesterday, they announced Mia Khalifa was joining uh, the platform and she's a big Dogecoin supporter that me just throwing that out there. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm okay. getting there, right. Chris. I'm getting there, bud. Uh, and they've got Cardi B to be its creative director. Wow. So um, that's centerfold. Yeah, that's it's a big, it's a pretty big, big deal. Get right. I mean, and so um, that's just like one of their silos. So they're creating um, sort of like. Minecraft, they're creating this digital ecosystem, right? So they've also, they've also launched Rabbitars, which is an NFT project. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that or not, but um, that's one of their verticals. And so they've been selling NFTs as a source of revenue generation. And then they've got um, like an e-commerce gaming business in China. They bought uh, an online lingerie company, uh, an e-commerce lingerie company. Um, and, and it's a, basically a new sort of e-commerce metaverse type of company Playboy is because, um, yes, you just mentioned um, Mia's uh, interest in, in Dogecoin. There'll be obviously um, avenues to promote various mm -hmm. coins and project launches or NFTs to take payment uh, via those things, um, et cetera. And so I'm pretty sure... Uh, Playboy is going to report that they made over $200 million in revenue last year um, in the next couple of weeks. And they're trading at like only five times that. And so um, anyway, you mentioned sex in the metaverse and I'm interested in that stock. So it was a perfect segue to talk about it for a little bit. But do you have anything to add well, to, to any of that or any other companies? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're about? making the right moves as a company. I mean, obviously, the business model of selling magazines with airbrushed, you know, breasts, uh, you know, is probably in the past, you know, regardless of how good their articles may sure. or may not be. Uh, they clearly have to move on to the next the next thing. And it looks like they're intelligently doing that. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're probably right in picking up that stock, even though there's some short term volatility. They're still a link on the site. They read the articles. They still the have articles. that. OK, that was the famous the famous <laughs> excuse. But uh 
But yeah, no, it's a whole mm-hmm. ecosystem. No, now. I mean, it's true. Many mainstream companies are, are heading in that direction. I mean, we all know uh, what, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is doing with face, formerly Facebook, now Meta, trying to create a whole, you know, digital world in the metaverse, you know, where it kind of replaces traditional social media because now everybody thinks that, oh, my grandmother's on Facebook. Facebook's not cool anymore. What is this, 2008? Nobody cares. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, branching out into, into the metaverse. And it has the potential to be really smart in the long run, even though there might be some short-term hurdles because opening up the metaverse means you're opening up so many more ways to generate income aside from just selling people's personal information, which is what they've kind of relied on, advertisement and, and personal information. They're going to be able to start integrating, you know, metaverse real estate, NFTs, people are going to be directly, uh, you know, eventually directly using this platform as a way to transact, you know, cryptocurrency transactions, NFTs, digital real estate, and all that stuff. Well, I was just going to say, um, you know, there's been the, uh, the privacy issue going on, which people can now opt out of, of some of that uh, tracking through uh, Apple devices, which I believe very negatively impacted um, Facebook or Meta's revenue, which is one of yeah, the reasons I think you're right. is off, I think, by 25, 25% over the past um, couple of weeks. And so, yeah, it's that evolution. And that speaks also more towards you know, the power going back into the hand of the individual instead of the larger overarching um, organization. And Gerardo and I talk about that a lot. We haven't been on Facebook in a long time. For me, it's been, I think, 10 years since, since 2012. And so it's been a long time coming. And and yeah, um, it also goes back to what I was saying in the beginning about offering a real product, right? Not just um, one where your user is the mm-hmm. product. And so um, before I launch into, I guess, a little bit of wrap up and, and, and broader market stuff, let's touch on the crypto market for a little bit, because um, it's softened up here, and I have my own thoughts, of course, as a generalist, but you have your own as a, a expert or someone who focuses mostly on cryptos. So um, as we record, uh, Bitcoin was a little soft this week. It dipped temporarily below um, 40,000. For, for me personally, um, I think technically... I'm talking about charts technically, it could go to where it went a couple of weeks ago. What was that? 36,000. Yeah, it's, that's, right? it's within so, the realm of possibility. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's generally following the stock market indices, which is what it tends to do. I mean, Bitcoin is essentially a risk mm-hmm. on asset and treated that way by market makers and Wall Street. Um, so yeah, it's generally tracking the market indices, which haven't been doing very well. Um, obviously, yeah. I mean, it looked like you know, the fog of war had cleared and all of the rate hikes had been priced in and most of the fear, uncertainty and doubt was behind us. And then all of a sudden we get a fresh, you know, batch of uh, scaremongering from the media about how Russia is getting ready to attack the Ukraine. <laughs> so, you know, that spooked the markets again. You know, I, it, it's just hard. It's hard to make a calculation based on technical analysis when you just keep getting conflicting news stories from the media that either embolden the market or spook the market on an almost daily basis. So that's kind of where we are. That's that's where we are. But we're Bitcoin has actually, at least at the time we're recording this, has held uh, a pretty key support zone in the, right under 40,000. 
we'll, I don't know if that's going to hold. If it doesn't, then going down to you know around 36,000, like you were talking about, is a very real possibility in the short term. Um, but so far, it's holding. And it's, it's still technically in an upward trend break from the downward trend it had been on uh, since January. So, yeah, we're just kind of watching it closely. Uh, you know, but in the long term, Bitcoin is not going away. Uh, it's a solid investment. If you hold it for a long period of time, you're going to make money, regardless of where you buy in. Um, a couple of good points there. Uh, for me, personally, um, I'm comfortable buying Bitcoin below 40000 um, You know, I want to get to... Uh, an entire Bitcoin here soon. And so I was starting to buy a little bit more underneath 40 today. If it does dip uh, to 36, I will uh, go in in a bigger way. And um, that speaks to what you were saying about the volatility and um, the whips, current <laughs> yeah. whip sawing nature of it. Um, and there was a lot, there was a lot to mention there because uh, a lot to, you know, to touch on there because you mentioned the war. And so I believe, I believe, um, the media and the government, the administration is using the war as a hedge until we get through the next month of uh, stock earnings, uh, GDP growth numbers mm -hmm. and the Fed meeting, because um, really everyone's waiting for the Fed meeting. Right. Can they really hike into this slowdown? And the slowdown is becoming apparent now. And I wanted to sure. touch on that for a second. Um Earnings growth is still robust. If you look at S&P earnings, which are now almost done, right? We just got all the, the Q4 earnings. Um, it's still great double digit earnings growth, right? Growing at 25%, but that's a lot slower than it was earlier in 2021, like in Q1 and Q2 2021, when we were coming off lockdown numbers. And that's what the market cares about is those year over year numbers. And from that perspective, we're clearly in, uh, a growth slowdown from S&P earnings. The same exact thing is going to happen with GDP. It's still going to be positive GDP, but it's going to be slowing GDP from um, last year. And so um, that's not the right environment to be hmm. hiking rates into, despite the fact that rates need hiked. And so uh, that's obviously the big thing that's going on here. We'll see. Um, what happens but i think you know you know some days this week russia was like man we're taking away troops we're backing off and the u.s media was like nah man they're like shovel motherfuckers like, they're desperate they are, they are desperate like, for it's like, like it's just desperate for them. yeah and so um i think they want that hedge there and so you know we'll see how it all goes um it's it's a perfect springboard to, to, to say we are in a transition. Um, rates already raised themselves, mm. which I continue to say, like Jerome has no authority. Um, the 10-year the rate uh, yield went um, up uh, like over 100% last year to, to, to yielding uh, almost 2% now. And so the market raised rates on their own. Um, it's my belief that those rates are going to pull back either because the Fed isn't going to be able to, to cut or because it's going to paradoxically, uh, the market's going to paradoxically lower bond yields on its own, even if the Fed uh, hikes its uh, rate uh, because of that slowing growth that I mentioned. And so you're seeing a little bit of that this week. Uh, the 10-year hit 2% and then pulled back to 
like 1.9%. And the other thing that's telling you that growth is slowing is gold, which um, Mm -hmm. finally broke out, right? It didn't break out amid all the inflation. It wasn't the inflation that drove gold higher. It's the slowing growth, the flight to safety that's driving gold higher. And so um, you saw gold hit $1,900 for the first time since last June. Um, when it hit 1900 the summer before that in 2020, it only took two weeks to get to 2000. So uh, I'm watching that very closely. Um, and then uh, continue to be de- positioned defensively. So if I look at my account, it's still almost half in cash. Uh, I've been buying short term and long term um, bonds defensively. I've been buying gold. Um, I've been buying gold mining stocks. And uh, big ones, you know, Wheaton, for example. I mean, um, and then uh, consumer staples and things that pay high dividends have been holding up relatively well. If you look at stocks like Altria or if you look at stocks like um, General Mills or um, if you look at things that are in the agricultural space, um, like fertilizers and, and ag goods and stuff, all that stuff is holding up good and in places to park cash, you know, you're not gonna um, generate uh, maybe a lot of alpha, but you're certainly not gonna lose money in an environment where one, almost one of every $10 has been erased from mm-hmm. retirement accounts in the past month and a half. So um, I, those are my current thoughts. Um, continue to watch, obviously. Uh, markets with bated breath as I do and, and trade around them. Um, excited for um, you, Chris, to get a, a dip in some of these altcoins and uh, continue to show people how to uh, buy them. And I think that's on the docket for uh, next week, if you want to wrap up with a little bit of that, because um, I'm excited to learn how to do that. So you've been talking and making like um, how-to videos about decentralized exchanges and, um, you know, wallets that aren't Coinbase, um, uh, where you can Mm -hmm. store some of these um, alternative coins and then exchanges where you can buy them, uh, like pancake swap and things that uh, are foreign to me. And so um, that's sort of like the next level. We've been buying some Bitcoin and and, and Ethereum. And yeah, I mean, given the kind of macro environment, and all the uncertainty, we've been really conservative in what been acquiring so far just kind of building up like you said a foundation of some bitcoin and some ethereum i mean those are going to do well over the long term no matter what even if there's some short-term volatility um and yeah so this week um you know we should be branching off and and kind of transferring some funds over to a smaller exchange so we can get some of these more obscure uh, altcoins, um, you know, things that aren't listed on the major exchanges like Coinbase or Gemini. Um, you know, so we're going to get some of these smaller coins, we, you know, with the intention of holding for a fairly long period of time uh, until we have our next big market run up. Uh, and that's often when, you know, these coins, you know, after Bitcoin kind of hits a new all time high, these smaller coins, uh, you know, just take off. Uh, so that's what we're kind of hoping to position ourselves for. Hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. I mean, you know, if World War III breaks out and the stock market crashes, I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, obviously nobody has any control over that. Uh, Certainly not you or me. But uh, I think if we position ourselves well with this portfolio, um, you know, in the future, we're going to be really rewarded. And I'm hoping that 
you know, people who are subscribed to the service and are following along, you know, can learn how to do this for themselves, uh, see some of the things we're buying, maybe make some of the same purchases. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll then at least have the education where they can say, oh, well, this looks like a good project. Now I know how to buy this and I know how to hold it. I know how to transfer it and sell it if I need to. Because uh, that's where the big money in crypto is made, uh, is these smaller coins. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm excited to get some of those coins into our portfolio uh, as well. And I think it's a good time to be buying. Obviously, I wouldn't be uh, putting my capital there if I uh, didn't, especially you know with a long-term time horizon for the reasons, many of the reasons that we discussed in this uh, podcast. So... Um, you know, as we work through this little bit of economic slowing period, um, it's a perfect time to get educated and to start building uh, a portfolio of, of assets whose um, prices aren't reflecting their true value. That's what contrarians do. And that's ultimately how you make money over the long term. I appreciate you joining me today, Chris, for episode 157 of Bizarro World. Is there anything you'd like uh, to say? I don't think so. Um, what, what are the odds you think we get another multi-trillion dollar stimulus package uh, in the next year? Well, um, hi, because uh, a lot of people still aren't working and we've had the expiration of like the child, child, child tax credit. That, yeah. uh, we're at the end of the year and yeah. And, um, things are getting more expensive in, in dollars. And so when we think about a paradigm shift, when we talk about, um, I'll steal this right from Jeff Booth again, when he was talking about things getting more expensive in dollar terms, but always cheaper relative to Bitcoin, he made the analogy of monopoly and he was saying, um, you know, basically people who aren't informed about this new economy uh, or don't make the change are, you know, all these monopoly players. And, you know, how every time you go around the board, you collect a hundred bucks. Well, now they, that hundred bucks doesn't get you all the way around the board anymore. And so uh, they have to they have to give you uh, halfway through bucks yeah. or <laughs> more uh, before. Exactly. Right. And then you start talking about um, whatever. Uh, modern monetary theory and universal basic incomes, which I think is um, where we're going. And so if you want to give people universal basic incomes in uh, dollars or a central, file, a central bank digital currency, maybe that's a whole other bizarre world. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other topic. But the goal for you as an investor and as a person, um, whatever is to figure out, you know, um, Obviously, what the end gate, what the end result of that is going to be, what assets are going to inflate as a, yeah. um, a result of that. So um, that's what we try to do here every day: um, hedge, diversify, um, and make money in the the system that we're um, currently in, which is changing fast. And oh, well, thanks for having me on. I've had a lot of so fun. We appreciate it.